Here's the first question I think we have to answer, which is basically, why are we, why are we bothering to do this, right? There's a whole fat Bible full of stuff that we can look at. Uh, why are we doing this thing in particular? Um, if anybody can, can grab your Bible and tell me what Matthew 24, 36 is. No one knows about the day or the hour. Except for who? Who knows? The Father. That's no angels, no Jesus, right? God the Father. Alright, so, this is why we're talking about this. When we hear things like, no one knows about the day or the hour, okay? It is very, very common, very common from a Christian perspective to run into things like this. This is a chart, a really crazy in-depth chart about when to the end of the world will be. Um, this guy predicted that there was going to be a rapture, a taking up of God's people um, before a seven-year time of tribulation for those that remain. And then after that, there would be a time when Jesus would return and basically close down the whole show. He predicted that would be May 31st of 1998. That obviously did not come to pass. Okay, And then he, he amends the chart to say the following. The articles and charts will retain these dates, though incorrect, because it's our belief that the correct dates cannot vary from these articles by much. The tribulation week will start soon. Okay? Here's, here's what I think we should have a problem with. Legitimate people reading the Bible, trying to understand what God is saying, we should have a problem with, no one knows about the day of the hour, and then a picture of Jesus next to a giant chart that purports to know the day and the hour. Fair? We, have a, we should have a problem with that. We should have a problem with that. This was, uh, here's, here's another guy. Have you seen this guy? This is John Hagee. So he's, uh, you can catch him Sunday mornings. He, he buys time um, to talk to people on Sunday mornings. Also does a lot of, of uh, speaking engagements and stuff. Um, and he, the coming of the four, four blood moons. The basic premise of this is to say there were four blood moons around the time of Jesus. That there will be four blood moons. The, the final one coming, if you see, on September 28th of 2015. And that will be basically how God closed this thing down. Okay? He's figured it out. Except for, no one knows about the day or the hour. That's a problem. This is a problem. What's our impact? In, uh, uh, relatively recently, Harold Camping, um, who's with, uh, Family Radio, said that the end of the world was going to be May 21st, 2011. Okay? That, that obviously failed. He had falsely predicted the inner world also in 1994 and 2001. Okay? The impact of doing those things isn't just, oh no, I got it wrong. Okay? What's the impact of a billboard going up and people who don't love Jesus look at it and a guy predicts the end of the world and it doesn't come to pass? Yes, it's a joke. Right? Now, who's the butt of the joke? Yeah, it, it could be, it could be the follower the person that put up the billboard. But in the person's mind who sees that billboard, it could very well be Jesus. How, they don't know. They don't know where this prediction came from. They don't know that it didn't come from Christ. They don't know that it wasn't a legit reading in the Bible that produced that. So yeah, this isn't just, oh, <laughs> that, guy's, that guy's a little bit nutty. right? This is a problem. And one of the things that we don't have, broadly speaking, is some discernment to say, I know that's not right, and here's why. I mean, I could, you could take a sniff at it and be like, I feel like that doesn't sound right. The guy looks a little nutty. Right? That verse should do it. Right? 
Actually, I, I thought about that. And so this occurred to me one time that like, if, if, if man can't know, could I delay Jesus' return by constantly predicting it was going to be tomorrow? Now that doesn't seem like that would work. <laughs> like I could just say, well, he's, he's coming tomorrow, definitely. Wrong, but he won't come because I knew it. I don't think that... <laughs> just, just keep buying, right? Yeah, no, yes. Hopefully someone will stop me from talking. Um, so th- in that particular instance, the Herald Camping thing, so they, that guy advertises on 55 radio stations, 2,000 billboards. Um, there are people that were buying RVs driving around. We interviewed a guy um, named Steve. Steve, you remember the guys? It doesn't matter. Um, so we interviewed one of these guys who personally purchased a billboard in Ames to make sure that people saw this. He was so invested in that this was going to be the end of the world. And I was, I mean, he was dead wrong. He was dead wrong. There are websites dedicated to showing all the false Christian predictions about the end of the world. Like, there's plenty of them. People who are just intent, who want to be able to show how foolish Christians are and how they keep getting wrong. What I'm struggling with, really struggling with, is how can we read this and we're still making predictions? Why? That's a good question. Why do you think? Why do people keep doing that? Ah, money. There's money in having knowledge that no one else has. Yeah. Uh, you want me to write "fool" on the board? Okay, Dan. Fool. Because there's people that want money, and there's there's people that will believe it. Now, here's the thing: is maybe this is why I'm hesitant for fool. I'm hesitant for fool, is because there are times when the Bible is tricky. Not tricky as in deceiving. It's tricky in the extent that like, you actually have to, to, to study it. it. It takes some work to cipher through it. Okay? Mostly, and we're going to talk about this when we talk a little bit about the Greek language, is because the Bible was not written for us. It is for us, but it was written to somebody else every time. There's no book in the Bible that was written explicitly for you. Even the book of Revelation was written to seven churches in Asia Minor, in the first century. Okay? It has to mean something to them before it can mean something to us. So yeah, fool, yes, but we're looking for something. We want to know. Why do we want to know? Why do we want to know when the end of the world is? We're, we're afraid. We're afraid. What's it going to be like? It's complete. Who wouldn't be? It's a complete change. Some of that stuff wigs you out. And we'll, we'll get to Revelation at some point, I promise. But like, there's parts of that where you read that and you're like, I, I have no idea what to even do with this. This, this scares the living crap out of me. I just don't know. Okay? Now, do we know Jesus? Does Jesus do things that are like, for the people that follow him, should Revelation, should his word scare the living crap out of me? No. Which means we must not be reading it right. We can't, it doesn't throw the context of Jesus out of it completely. It has to, we have to be able to approach it and say, if all these other things are true, how can, how do I understand this? Okay? How else? So that's money. I think that's a pretty good one. Do you think anybody's in it to win souls? Yes, I do. We're going to call that. Yes. I think there are very much people who, with good intentions who are saying, I, I want people to know Jesus. 
and it's not happening, or I'm not seeing change that I expect to see, if, if, if they think the end of the world is coming in two weeks, may, maybe they'll, they'll listen. Maybe they'll, they don't understand the urgency that I seem to get and they're missing. So, do I think there are people with good intentions? Yes. Yes. What's the, what's the, what are we missing though? Like, what's, what's the problem here? It's to say that whatever God says isn't working. Okay? God's marketing plan isn't good enough. I know what He put in the Bible, and I know what we're supposed to understand. No one knows. But if there's a thought that says, well, but, but maybe if you put just a little bit of, a little bit of punch in it, a little bit of fear in it, maybe we can get someone to come to Jesus. We don't bring people to Jesus in the wrong way. We don't scare them. We don't bully them. Okay? It doesn't work that way. People come to Jesus in the way Jesus brings people to Jesus, and then we follow that. Okay? So, good intentions? Sure. Sure. Wrong outcome. Wrong outcome. Push people away from Jesus, because the truth is, is what we introduced them to was not Jesus. They they didn't get to know who Jesus was when we tried to scare them into heaven. You guys want to spend eternity with the guy who got there just because he was going to wet his pants because he thought the moon was going to fall on him? I mean, that doesn't seem like a sweet eternity to me. I want people who are there because they're there why I'm there. I'm there because I followed Jesus in. He walked in and he was the only legit guy at the party and I said, I'm with him. And they let me in. And that's why I want to be there. Not the guy that runs scared from something happening in the street. Okay, So yeah, they came the wrong way. Jesus plus a marketing scheme or Jesus plus fear or Jesus plus whatever isn't how people get into heaven. And so that's where the mistaken are. I do think they're good intentions. I do. For some. Money's a lot. Costs a lot of money to get John Hagee to come to your place. Okay. A lot lot of the false prophets too. I mean, that's been around forever. Yes. Yes. People have been saying this since the beginning. We, We would be foolish to think that there's not a motivation of Satan to take people who want to be faithful to God's Word and twist it. What's what's the first thing ever comes out of Satan's mouth? Did God really say? Did He really say? Okay. Well, maybe He didn't really say. No one knows. Maybe if I can pick a moon out, maybe I'll know. Okay. Yeah. It would be foolish to think that there's not a motivation to take someone, especially a person who says, "I just want to. I just want to be faithful. I just want to believe in God. I trusted a leader who said this is." This is what it is. This is how, how things are. And then they followed it. And they went out and they handed out the pamphlets. And they, they, there was guys at Family Radio who sold everything. And they showed up in like fancy cars and fancy clothes. Now that should be a tip-off. Maybe we're not thinking of that right. Okay, But they sold everything because they thought the end of the world was coming. And they were bankrupt. And the radio station kept on. And Harold Camping retired and died a few years ago. And they have nothing. And who got burned by the false prophet? They did. And, and who looks at Jesus a little bit differently? They do. So this isn't one of those things where can we be like, oh, kooky people who believe weird things. Ha ha ha. We're going to have to engage in this. This this has been something where like, I probably, you you find me three years ago, I don't care. I'm like, Revelation, uh, what do I, what's my eschatology? I don't, I don't care. I don't care. I got other stuff to worry about. Okay? This matters to me because it impacts what we do on our daily basis. It impacts what other people believe. It impacts how other people see Jesus. Okay? And it has an impact on what happens in our lives. See, the Bible isn't silent on the end of the world. Okay? But we have to figure out what it's actually saying. Not what we want it to say. What's the motivation for the world ending in a few weeks? Especially if, you, if it's a rapture thing where we leave and everybody else stays. We avoid. There's trouble coming. 
And we avoid that. And we want that. That sounds good. I'll take that. If there's trouble coming, I want the world to end. Take me away from it. Okay? There's an element of come soon, Lord Jesus. I'm there. Right? But like, we don't get to change what the Bible says because of what we want. See, we need to learn what the Bible actually says, not what we want it to say. The truth is, is that we should want it to say what it says. Because God knows best. What do I want to call the end of the world in two weeks for? God will do it when he wants to do it. There's no reason for me to call it. Now, I say all that stuff, but like, you've read the same passages I have, right? Like, we've read parts of the Bible, you're like, what? <laughs> Pretty much seems like it's ending, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound like the world is, like there's fire and there's, there's no more suns and we're like, come on, that's, how can that be anything else? That's what we're doing in the class. It's because if all this stuff is problematic, we need to figure out what the Bible actually says and how to take it in. And we're going to have to fight through some of that stuff. Okay? But that's what we're going to try to do in this class. So that once we can put the end of the world in the right perspective, we can read a book like Revelation, which is basically designed by their pastor John to say, hey, I know you guys are, are seeing persecution. Either it's physical or you're being seduced by the society around you to give up Jesus. And it's not just, I wrote the first three chapters for you to help you out and then the rest for somebody 2,000 years from now so that they may know. It's no, I'm writing to comfort you and to give you assurance that God's got this under control and things will be okay in the end. Okay? We can't pull Revelation out of that context. So then now how do we understand that? If Revelation, if all these scenes and Revelations are for me to understand and have assurance in my day-to-day life, I wake up tomorrow and Revelation 15 applies to me, How? That's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at that kind of stuff. First, we need to look at what we believe about the future. Because what we believe about the future informs how we live today. And one of our first mistakes is thinking of prophecy as simply a way for God to show off. He doesn't need to show off. Right? He created the universe. Okay? Look at all these things that the Bible is describing. And then we get to where the end of the world is and we feel like he just told us what was going to happen because he's like, hey, because I know everything. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, does that seem like a reason God would record all those things in the book of Revelation? There's, there's a reason He speaks. 12% of the time, 12% of the time, when the Bible uses prophecy or the, or to prophesy, it is talking about a future event. That's 12. Which means the other 88% is not talking about a future event. Okay? It's, He's not predicting the future. Let's look at, um, somebody pull up Matthew 26, 66, to 68, and then someone else, Ezekiel 13. I think it's like 1 through 6 on Ezekiel 13. I'll let you stop when we get there. Um, what are those, um, Matthew 26, 66 to 68. And Ezekiel 13, just the chapter. Someone tell me when you got Matthew 26, and I'll have you read it out for me. I got it, right? Yep. What is your judgment? They answered, because there's death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, was it, were they asking him to predict the future? Who just hit you? What just happened in the past? Are they saying predict the future? No. No. Ezekiel 13. Anybody got it? Okay, go ahead. No, I think it's like, it's really like the first six or eight verses. Run until you run into the word prophesy. That'll work. Okay. Does that sound like what? Wait. What? What was he asking for? 
He's asking he's asking him to speak against whom? Yeah, people that are false prophets, people that are claiming to know things, words from God that uh, that they're speaking that aren't coming to pass. So they can't be words from God. And they're saying, prophesy against him about something that happened in the past, right? Is that, is that sufficient for examples to say, like when we hear the word prophecy or prophesy, we can't think in the future. Does it use it that way? Yes, we should think, when we see the word prophecy, we should think, word from God. Word from God. It does not carry a connotation that it has to be in the future. Okay? It's a, what does the prophet bring? A word from God. So the prophecy are the words. That makes sense? Okay. So that's one of the ways we can be careful is whenever we see the word prophecy, okay, or prophesy, or even the word prophet. Think of the, the, especially the, the prophets in the Old Testament. Like a lot of those guys are talking about what is, yes, what is to come, but it's a reflection of how Israel has been. Okay? They're bringing words from God about how they've behaved. Okay? So once, just because we see the word prophecy doesn't mean we can push it into the future. Okay? Alright, good. Uh, let's look, hey, here's where we're gonna break out the Blue Letter Bible app. Let me pull this up. Um, and I want you to pull up Revelation 1. And I'll show you, if you haven't had a chance to play with this, I'll show you how to, um, I'll show you how to do it. Revelation 1. There it is. Okay. Um, so if you guys, if you're, you're looking at it up on the screen, if you can see it. So to change chapters and stuff, just click right where I have Matthew 22. I select New Testament, Revelation, and I'm in on Revelation 1. There we go. All right. So we're going to look at, uh, we're going to look at a word here. Uh, let's just, I'll read the first four, I'll have first three verses for you. Everybody get it up. Um, and stay in the app, because I'm going to show you we're going to use it for something. All right, uh, Revelation 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. All right, so let's look at Revelation uh, 1.3 a little bit more. Um, if you can click on that number three, if you can get your your finger in there, oops. Oh no! There we go. There we go. All right. So I clicked on uh, that verse three, and it's going to give you some options. Did everybody get that to come up? If you're following along, you don't have to be doing this. I'm just. If you want to, I'll show you. Um, you want to choose interlinear. Slash concordance. And this is what it's going to do. Uh, all this is going to seem like Greek to you. Hey <laughs> um, so it's, it's basically going to show you the Greek words. Uh, we're, I'm going to talk to you in a little bit why, we're look, why we care about these, but uh, I'm just going to show you how it works to begin with. So look at, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy, and we're going to look at uh, the word heed. See the word heed? And then if you look on the right-hand side, you're going to see a, a word, T-E-R-E-O. That's the Greek word for the word heed. Okay? Everybody see that? All right. And you can listen to it, too. Uh, here's the deal. Uh, my, I'm a, I am dangerous Greek. Okay? I don't know legitimate Greek. I'm very dangerous with my Greek. So if you hear me say a word, don't say that to someone else like you know Greek. Like, check that stuff out. Okay? 
Um, so here we could listen to the word if you wanted to. It's, it's uh, Tereo. And then I can hit it. And here's, here's what it's going to do. It's going to bring me some information, a lexicon of how this word is used. It's getting wonky. You guys don't know what you signed up for. Okay? It's getting wonky. Um, outline of biblical uses. To attend carefully, to take care of, to guard, to observe, to reserve. Um, and then if you scroll down, it will tell you how else it's used in the Bible. Okay, And that's going to be one of our context things, is how is this word used elsewhere in the Bible? So as an example, um, let's look for... Matthew 23, 3, so it, it, this word is going to be, so do and observe whatever they tell you. Okay? That, that's the same word. Tereo is the word observe. Now, it translated as heed in Revelation 1. It translated as observe. The right way to think of this word is obey. Obey. Um, and it, it uses it uh, in a way would, that would be like... Um, uh, heed the, like if you're in a, in a ship or whatever, and you're trying to navigate and would say, heed the location of the North Star. Okay? It's not just, like, know about it. It's, it's following it. Like that, that is how you're setting your track. Okay? So that's, that's kind of the right way the word would be used. Okay? So the word, if we were, if I were to render it, try to render it cleanly, I would say it's obey. Yes? So you'd read several verses with that word in there, and you, you came up with an overall. Correct. Try to get an idea of how the Bible is using the verse. And we'll look at some examples like that are, that'll be more practical here in a little bit on, on why this is important. We're gonna run into this, especially in Matthew 24. Um, we're gonna run into how, how those words are used. Um, I, let me just stop you right here. I do not expect your daily Bible reading to change where you're looking up Greek every day. Okay? That's not what I think our expectation is. However, when we run into things in the Bible where we're like, something doesn't seem right here. It doesn't seem consistent with the way that I understand how Jesus works, or there's a passage that we're having difficulty understanding. This is what I do. This is what Dan would do. Is we would we would try to look at the underlying Greek and check out the translation because translating is is way more of a, an art than it is a science. Trying to bring stuff over from Greek into in English. Okay, and we'll, we'll again we'll look at some more examples of that later. Um, anyway, the whole reason to bring that up though is because if the word is obey, let's go back to our Revelation one and l- let me just substitute it. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear um, and who keep what... Oh, shoot. The heed, heed wasn't what I wanted. Um, yeah, sorry. I was looking, I'm was i looking at the ESV. So the, they, they give you the... I think it's the NASB. The NASB is what the, is where the Greek is translated from. That's where the heed is. Heed is. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's want to be... Blessed are those who hear and who obey what is written in it, for the time is near. Okay, long way to prove. How can you obey a prophecy? How can you obey something if if it's in the future, or it's a word from God? How, and 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 part of the description of Revelation is blessed are those who obey the word from God. Make sense? So sorry, there's a lot in here. We're gonna it, you we'll flesh some of this out. Like you might walk away tonight and you're completely confused, and that's totally cool. We got we got a few weeks to kind of show how how these things work, okay, and how we can use them. All right, good. Let's uh, let's look at a couple other things here. So, for example, if you use the word heed, it also means wait. So you really need to just wait on the Lord. You could, yes, yeah. And so this is where so like just because it it occurs um, one place one way doesn't mean it'll occur that way every way. Here's as it, but it, but it could. It could, and that's kind of the difficulty in translation is 
we're using the same word, teleos, to be obey, heed. It could be wait. Um, it could be hear. Right? It just depends on, on how you're rendering that. There are people involved in translation. There is some, um, things aren't one-to-one. Have you guys heard, heard somebody say, like, how many words there are for snow in the Inuit language? Right? And how many do we have? We don't have very many. And so, could you translate well one of the distinctions that they may make in their language with ours? We don't have a distinct word for that. So we may say snow, and what they mean is like a specific type of snow that is like barely hanging off your, your igloo um, when it's like 28 degrees but not 40. You know what I'm saying? Like they might have a distinction in their word that we don't have a word to cover. And so it's going to say snow. If we never looked up what that underlying word was, we not, may not be able to tell the difference. I would tell you that 95% of your Bible reading makes that type of thing irrelevant. Okay? There's not a lot of disputed passages. And when I say dispute, I mean things people are discussing. Not necessarily like we disagree. Okay? But I think we need to know that. I think as people honestly trying to follow Christ and honestly trying to understand the Bible reading... I think we need to be fair about understanding where those translations come from. Yes? What I learned is that the, the people who do the translating, they're linguists. They're not scientists. They're not doctors. They're not mechanics. They're not whatever. And for CPAs, they tend to gloss over that because they don't know if it's specific for a certain issue. That's, it's possible. If you look, at, um, if you look at, at one of your Bibles, it'll generally tell you like the list of the people who were part of the doing the translations. Um, I mean, they, they do tend to have a pretty wide range of folks in there, but like they are, uh, it depends on the translation too. Some people are doing word-for-word translations. Some people are trying to do a thought-for-thought. Thought. Like like the message, the message, that's a thought-for-thought. Thought. It's trying to give you an idea of what the passage is communicating. Because if you read it straight through in Greek, like it's chopped up. Because their sentence order isn't the same as our sentence order. Okay, So people are trying to put, again, uh, good intentions. Trying to put the Word of God in there. It doesn't mean that we don't have to be discerning about it. Okay? It also doesn't mean that you need to know Greek, right? God puts, uh, like, people in your community that, that are, that are supposed to teach these things. That's why there's weight on biblical teachers, right? Like, you're responsible for some of this stuff to make sure people are getting it and that we can be that resource. But the cool thing, I mean, in our time that wouldn't have been true a hundred years ago is that, like, this stuff is pretty well at our fingertips. Like, I can check out a Greek phrase and see how it passes throughout the Bible without spending a bunch of money and a bunch of time. Okay? So we have the ability to do that, and, and I think we should at least take that responsibility. All right, um, we're going to look at one more thing. Uh, let's look at Second Peter three, um, and I will um, I'll read that, and we're going to we're going to dive into Second Peter three a little bit more. Um, let's see. They will say, "Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God." And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for, for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destructions of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. For the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? Why did Peter tell that story? Why did he bother to tell, that, tell all those things? Look at verse 11. He's talking about when things will be done, but he, the reason he said all, all those things was what? 
Yeah, yeah. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? God's not telling future stuff simply so we can go, oh, cool, stuff that will happen in the future. It informs how we live today. The whole reason Peter's talking about those things is to say, first of all, don't worry about scoffers. And two, because of these things that we know to be true, how then shall we live? We, we need to rethink why the Bible tells us things in advance. And it, it's never so that we can be like, oh, good, I, 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 I saw it. it. There are parts of that for other people. It's not for us, though. Yes. Don't worry about all this other stuff. It's going to happen anyway. Exactly. Exactly. So, so broad, when we, when we come across stuff in the Bible where we think it's talking about a future time, what I want you to look for is, what does this mean to me right now? Is he giving this information to me so that I could go to some other guy and say, hey, I know what's happening? Is that, is that, like, I don't really see that. I don't really see anybody else in scripture using it that way. Okay. It's how, how do I live? What, how does this impact what I do today when I'm walking miles? When I'm just living my day-to-day life and taking, taking steps, why does what happens in the future matter to me? For Revelation, if the pastor John is giving hope to the people who are under persecution, all these things that they know God will handle this means we just can, we just keep on keeping on. That's what it means. Revelation is keep on keeping on. All those things are about that. Alright, let's keep, uh, let's keep looking. So, one of the things that I think we're going to walk through, we're going to run into as we kind of walk through this study is that we're going to run into some di- difficult scripture. Okay? We just are. And we need to wrestle with scripture that is difficult. If we wish to understand God through what he has given us, we need to embrace all of it. And this is hard. Because, I mean, this means that we don't get to take a pass on the Old Testament, for example. You know, the Old Testament it, book of Revelation, I'll keep bringing this up only because it seems relevant to what we're talking about. Like, there are more references to the Old Testament than there are verses in the book of Revelation. And we read Revelation wrong because we don't know the Old Testament. We don't know a good chunk of God's story and what he's done in his people up to this point. Okay, So if we fail to understand that and we try to read a book like Revelation separate from that, yeah, we're going to get it jacked up. We're going to get it jacked up. Okay, We have to embrace all that stuff. We don't get to take a pass and we're not going to touch it in this class, but like Paul's view on ladies in the church, we don't just get to be like, Ugh, I don't really care. Like I struggle with Paul, with the things that Paul says. There are things that Paul says that I'm like, I, I'm struggling, man. And so like, I'm, I'm looking in on it. I'm checking words. I'm reading stuff about Paul because I, I want to understand how can I understand all these things. And I see something that might come out of Paul's mouth and I'm like, <laughs> I, cultural? Maybe? Braid, ladies with braided hair? Is this going to be fine? Like, I, I don't know. So I'm going to check on it. But I have to embrace that. That's just as much of God's story as everything else in it. Okay? We can't run away from stuff like that. We don't get to bail on revelation or, or eschatology. We have to embrace those types of things. See, God has given us a community and historical information and teachers so that we may attempt to rightly discern all these things. And we have to engage in that. Okay. The reason, one of the other reasons we're talking about end times is because it seems to attract wolves. Kind of like we talked about. Or, or the John Hagees of the world. David Koresh. David Koresh was a, was a revelation guy. He claimed to be Jesus. Okay, so he's off. And we would know that. Right? But like, Half the stuff that he twisted people into believing is biblical stuff. Don't you understand that I, I, I'm from the line of David? Okay. First name, 
Gotta go. Okay? He twisted it. Applewhite. Who's Applewhite? Anybody remember? Marshall Applewhite. The, uh, yep. Heaven's Gate guy. Heaven's Gate guy. His, that guy's messed up. His, his description of like, the, the earth is like a garden of which other alien life forms came and planted and stuff, it's, it's creepy. However, some of that stuff is rooted in eschatology. He's got biblical backing, what he thinks is biblical backing, for some of the things that he's talking about. People died. Well, Jim Jones did the same thing. Same thing with Jim Jones. There, uh, yeah, right. Like, like it's everywhere, right? Because, uh, because if we don't understand some of that end time stuff in the Bible, some guy can grab onto it, convince some guy to take a drink, some Kool Aid, and die with fifteen other people that were totally deceived, totally deceived. Do I care about that? You bet I do, because somebody died needlessly. Maybe there was someone that could have stepped in. I don't know. I mean, that's that's hearsay, right? But like, if we can't speak to some of that stuff as God's body of people. We're just passing them on to the next guy who seems pretty confident on what's going on. That's part of why we're looking at it. All right, so what are we going to do? <laughs> this, is what we're, this is what we're planning for the next few weeks. We're going to review scriptures that appear to discuss Christ's second coming or the end of the world. Okay? Um, we're not going to, there's some stuff in the Old Testament that are, is not Christ's second coming, but we think is. I'm not sure we're going to get to that. I'll t- I will tell you out of hand, most of it has to do with their being taken into captivity by Babylon. Okay, so when you run to it, first think potentially being taken in captivity by Babylon. And then from there, Daniel is a different beast. We're going to talk about Daniel. Um, we'll, we'll try to walk through the things that I think are important in Daniel. We're, I'm going to do a very, very brief introduction on the different um, uh, millennial views, um, like what's going to happen at the end times. I don't want to spend a bunch of time on that because here's what I don't want. is we don't, need to, we don't need to spend a lot of time understanding what we don't think is right. I just... There's there's some benefit to knowing where people are wrong, but like the only thing that we benefit from that is usually to say, hey, I think you're wrong, and then what? Now what? Now what have we done? Yeah, right. So so let's focus on what we think the Bible says, and then we'll go from there. Okay. The, the counting the number of people who are messed up on their on their end of times views is not going to be worth our effort. So we're not going to spend a lot of time doing it. But I will tell you, there are people that love Jesus that are smarter than me that don't think what I think about the end of times. Okay. Do I think they love Jesus? Yes, I do. Do I agree that they're smarter than me? Yes, I do. Okay? It's not a, it's not a I love Jesus, don't love Jesus issue. But there are implications, I think, for understanding this incorrectly that have people dying trying to catch a comet ride. All right? So we're going to do our best to try to discern those. Um, we're going to look at... Uh, we are going to look at some of the Greek stuff. So the Bible's in three languages. It's in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Um, Greek is like a... It's Koine Greek. It's like a street Greek. Okay, your average dude would be speaking, this isn't like, um, like, um, Plato Greek. It would be more of a street, street Greek. Um, here's why we're gonna look at the Greek. Um, it does provide insight as to what words mean. Think about our, back to our revelation, our, our Terios question, right? If we don't go back and check that, maybe I can take a pass on, oh, just, you should, you should heed these words, meaning you should understand them as opposed to you should obey them. There's something to obey here. That makes a difference. It makes a difference. Um, I will remind you that inter- interpretation is more of an art um, than a science. And actually, I'm going to show you this. Um, <laughs> this is pretty interesting. I, so I thought that some of this was true, and I actually learned more about um, more about it as I was looking into it this week. I don't think I'm going to get that to come up. Um, I have a, a picture of one of like a one of the Greek manuscripts, um, one of the oldest things that we have um, from the Bible. And um, the original Greek has no punctuation, like none, no periods, no commas, semicolons, nothing. Okay. No spaces between words. 
Letters on letters. Alright? No paragraph markers. Okay? You got, you got headings in your Bibles? That's, that's not, that's not Bible stuff. Okay? In fact, there's a couple places where like, those are a serious disadvantage. Even the, that we broke them up into chapters is a serious disadvantage. Because it makes it seem like there's a separate thought happening. Um, and so we gotta be careful with that kind of stuff. Okay? No punctuation, no spaces between words, no paragraph markers. It's not even, it's all, all caps. It's not even lowercase. <laughs> it's like a string of letters. All in uppercase. Chapter divisions didn't come until 1227. Verse divisions didn't come until 1448 for the Old Testament, 1555 for the New. Okay? That seems like a hard thing to translate to me. Okay? That means there are risks. I remember, um, and I, I've lost the example. I might look for it just so I can show you what I mean. But there was, um, there was something I was reading in John 12 or 13 uh, about a month ago. And I thought, if you change where that comma is, it very much changes the meaning of that sentence. And I thought... Maybe that comma was, like, I know it wasn't there, but what's underneath that? Like, what is it that if I put the comma here, it means this. If I move it, it means this. Okay? This is going to have the effect of making you distrust your Bible translation. Don't do that. Don't do that. We're just, we need to be aware of what goes into a translation. Okay, that's all. Is there any information that tells, explains why they? Sometimes. Sometimes. So when the NIV changed, there was a 1984 NIV, and then when they updated, I want to say 2001. Is that right? Um, they provided some substantial notes on where they ended up uh, and why they ended up that way. Um, we're, I'll, I'll show you an example. Um, and frankly, there's a lot of modern translations. And I like the ESV, but the ESV, I think, actually gets this wrong too. Um, I will show you where I think we have, we have changed our translation of something to fit what we think, to fit an eschatology. Okay? And I'll give you an example of that today just so you kind of have an idea what I'm talking about. Um, two things to remember then about Bible translation. They primarily use context to translate. Okay? It matters what's going on around it to understand how to translate something that's there. And two, it, it is difficult for us in some of these things to, to even, even read the Bible as it sits, but certainly from where it came from, because we don't speak the language. We didn't come from there. Um, what, what this is going to feel like, and I promise you it's okay if you feel like this as we go through this class, is that you're going to feel like we're stretching. That we're pushing real hard to find a certain word that means a certain thing that impacts how we understand X, Y, or Z in the Bible. It's going to feel like we're really having to reach. But the truth is, we are having to reach. Because I could say uh, to somebody to somebody in this room, um, let's see, I'm trying to think of the right, uh, right example. Uh, with liberty and justice for all. Where's that from? Pledge. Pledge of allegiance, right? Okay, I could say, so you would have a reference to understand if I, if I said, and then we looked out and we said, with liberty and justice for all. And like, there would be a, a nature of, not only do you know where that, potentially know where that came from, but like, it's a pledge of allegiance to the United States. So it brings with it a weight of, here's where the, the phrase it, it was in, but it's also a pledge to never, never leave the United States or never fight for what she fights for. Okay? So just that phrase brings with it a lot. Okay? When, when the people are writing in the New Testament, like, they're bringing a background of primarily the Old Testament. Okay? Plus cultural stuff that surrounds them. All right, so we have to fight for that. We do have to reach for that because I didn't live there. I have to know what's going on around him. I have to know the things that happen in that culture. I have to know when uh, when Jesus uses the phrase "Son of Man." There are two instances in the Old Testament where that is used. There's a ton in Ezekiel about man. It's, it refers to man, but the only time it, it talks about Son of Man coming is in Daniel 7. And it's about bringing on the kingdom. Every time we see that in Matthew, and we, as we're walking through Matthew at Pathway, okay, every time we see that, 
It's referring back to Daniel 7, son of man, every time. Now, he doesn't go into a big, long discussion about what it is because the people he's talking to know that. We're just not steeped in it. So yeah, we do have to fight for that a little bit. And it, you're going to feel that way and that's okay. That's a good, like pulling up Greek. We're like, really, we're going to look at the Greek? Yeah, we're, we are. We're going to fight for that a little bit. It's going to be a reach, but we're going to fight for it. Okay? All right, good. Um, yeah, let's look at, so this is the one. Let's look at Matthew 24, 28. Pull it up in your in your blue letter Bible if you have it. Uh, Matthew twenty four twenty eight. Well, I'll read the I'll read the um, a little the verse before that just so we have it for record. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Oh, oh, oh. Daniel seven. That's Daniel seven. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. I'll tell you how this is normally used. This is normally used because in this context, people will say this is the this is basically the end of the world. Okay, where the corpse is, the vulture will gather. Actually, I have someone that's, that's close to me. Um, who would explain this verse and say, basically, you know that the end of times is coming because there will be a lot of corpses, because God is sending judgment, and he is creating a bunch of vultures to otherwise handle the problem. Okay? It's generally how it's used in the context of understanding the end of the world. Let's look at, uh, let's look at this verse. I'm going to pull it up. I'm going to look at my interlinear concordance. Alright. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Um, what's the word? Anybody want to take a stab at the word for vultures? Atos. Atos. Um, which is um, the plural for the word itoi. Okay? Alright. We good? Is everybody still alright? Don't get lost in Greek now. Now, if I want to find out how that's used or what the definition of it is, I can just punch it. So I'm going to hit Atos. The vultures, Atos, A-E-T-O-S. What's the definition of that word? Eagle. Does it give vultures an option? Did anybody see vulture on that page anywhere? That's, that's an eagle. That's an eagle. If you check the word Itoi, and I, outside of the Bible, I mean any, any Greek document that we have access to from that time frame, and look at the word itoi, it is always rendered eagle, never vulture. Never vulture. Why do they have vulture there? Because they're caught up on the word corpse. The way that, the way that word is used, it is, it is right, it's like a body, okay? But specifically it's used for a body that has fallen in war or fallen in battle. Okay, so if I think the eagles eat dead dead things, no, eagles eat live prey. So they're like, something's not right there, right? It's got to be a vulture. If the animal is eating the corpse, but it doesn't really say that. It just says it's above it. it just says it's above it. Look at that. What's the second option? Outline of biblical uses number two: an eagle as a standard, Roman military standard. Okay. Matthew 24 is fun. Let's look at, we'll, we'll look at this, um, not next week, but, uh, two weeks from now, we're gonna start going through Matthew 24, which is also like Mark, Mark 13. Um, but I will tell you, in AD 70, what, what, what big event happens in AD 70? Anybody know? Yeah, temple's destroyed. Okay? The, the Jewish temple is destroyed. Okay? Who destroyed it? The Jews did. The Jews did. They destroyed their own temple. <laughs> 
We always say the temple is destroyed like Rome attacked it and destroyed it. The Jews destroyed their own temple. They burnt it down. Um, they said by the time Rome got there, and Rome was planning to destroy it. Don't get, don't get wrong there. Okay? But there were bodies stacked two stories high of Jews who had killed themselves. They had melted down a lot of the stuff that was in there to create weapons in the temple of God. That is not the abomination of desolation, but it hangs around that area. Okay? Where God, where heaven and earth had intersected, where God resided within humanity in the temple, and they had turned it into a house of destruction and destroyed it themselves. Once they've done that, the Roman army comes in. If you're an army, you lead with your standard, and you're hanging out outside the temple, and your eagle is then above a bunch of what? See how it makes a difference? If I say eagle above corpses or eagle above bodies, it changes my end times perspective, doesn't it? Because now, this doesn't make any sense to say, well, this is what this is definitely the end of times. The eagles will be hovering over the bodies. You're like, okay, that doesn't, what? <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Okay? I can't find a modern translation. Well, actually, I didn't look at them all, okay? I looked at some of the popular ones. The NIV, 84 NIV, like 2001 NIV, the ESV, um, which I use. Everybody renders, renders that as vulture. Yes? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, the concept of saying eagle hovering over bodies or like referring to a group of people under a government as whatever their standard is and as if that animal is acting or whatever, yeah, that wouldn't be new at all. So it's not, it's not, it's not a, I mean, I granted you said we're going to have to make some stretches here, but it's not like biblical scholars were like eagle, eagle, eagle. Okay, the Romans were eagles. We can probably make this easy. The Bible uses that, that, the standard reference pretty systematically. It does quite a bit. Uh, yes, yes, I would agree with that. You said the New King James is, is eagle? Yeah, New King James says eagle. NKJV is rocking the eagle. Okay, so, people that put... I know, I write, I wrote everywhere. Uh, what, did I write vulture anywhere? Shoot, I didn't. Yeah, it's not, it doesn't matter. <laughs> put vulture in your mind. <laughs> okay, so, why do people put vulture? Because it makes sense to them. Because of what they believe about what that passage is to say about the end times. Do I think people are trying to deceive somebody? No. No. I think that makes a lot of sense to them in that context. Okay? But we should be cautious. We should be cautious if our, if I can look up that word in the Greek and nowhere is it ever rendered vulture. Or, yes, if it's never rendered vulture except for here. That should give me pause. That makes sense? Okay. I'll give you another example, and we won't look at it, but like, uh, what's it, John 8? Where's the story of the lady who, um, uh, where Jesus says, go and, go and sin no more, and like he draws the line and says, you know, whoever's willing to cast the first stone? Okay, there's a note in, in pretty much every translation of the Bible that says the earliest manuscripts don't have this. They don't have that section. Here's the deal. Do I think it's plausible that that's, that circumstance happened? I certainly do. I will never, personally, I will never hinge a theological point or a proof of how we're supposed to act based upon that as my only set of scripture. I just won't, because it's not in our earliest translation. Okay, is it is it inconceivable that Jesus could have done that? Absolutely not. Okay, but like if that's if my if that is like my point is only that scripture, I'll wait, I'll wait, it, it, and see if it otherwise renders somewhere else where it's clearer, or I can find multiple things that validate that. Yes. Well, how do you know um, when to look up certain words to, to verify? That's a real bear. 
it's a real it's a real pain because what you end up doing is looking word by word and it's awful um which is why this is where i i don't want this to get confusing because i don't want your daily bible reading to change into doing that okay but if i'm looking through matthew 24 which i've i've read many many times and i and i every time i read it, i'm like i don't i don't really have a good idea what's happening here i i just don't get it i'm not following i don't know who this is applies to i don't know what these this is supposed to mean and so that whole chapter yeah yeah i started looking at that whole chapter um and, and frankly people will filter that out for you um a lot of times, if you have a disputed passage, do not Google passages to see what people think, but Google passages to see what people are talking about. That's completely reasonable. Because people filter that stuff out for you. Um, here, one of the things we're going to do, and I promised I wouldn't to myself, I wouldn't look at it, we're going to try to parse out the man of lawlessness. Okay? Yeah, no, that's what I would look at. And, I, and frankly, what, what I'll tend to do is look at the first, I don't know, first page worth of results and see what people are saying. If I were to try to figure out, because um, I, I still struggle with this right here. Like, I'm not quite sure what he's referring to as a man of lawlessness. I think there's like a Roman deal in there, but I don't know. Um, I had it on my list of stuff to talk about, but what, I'm, what we're not going to do is, is I'm not going to research it until we all look at it. And so we're all going to take a fresh look at it with some of the stuff that we've learned and see what we can come up with as to what this may mean. And then I'll go through and I'll figure out what like modern scholarship is is thinking about man of lawlessness and we'll go from there. Okay? Because I, I kind of want to go, I've had the advantage of looking at some of this stuff before you guys. I want to look at this one fresh with you guys and we'll see what we come up with. So like you can see where I'm struggling or what I'm looking at um, and that type of thing. And you don't need to have a bunch of different resources. Frankly, I would say keep your Bible. Um, I would use that blue letter Bible stuff and then... Um, Again, be real careful about Google and stuff. I always hesitate to say that, but like, just to see what people are talking about, where these things are coming from, okay? So, but yeah, sometimes for word choice, like, I don't even know what's debated until I go and kind of read around what other people are thinking. And so I would have never looked at Vulture. I have never reason to, to understand that. So it's, it's, that is difficult. It's what makes Bible scholarship kind of, kind of hard, because like anything's up for grabs, if it's a word choice that I don't know why they chose that particular word or like how, how it's used. But that is often why you'll hear pastors go, if you look at it in the Greek, the word means X, Y, Z. And you're like, well, why didn't they just say that? As of why do you have to say the phrase, look at it in the Greek? But it's because of those types of things where it just becomes a little bit difficult to parse. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll walk through the exercise. Okay, good? How are feeling? Everybody feeling all right? Okay. Would you say that most of the, yeah yeah i would i would say that i would say that, that a lot of the things that are up that people are debating about are elements of paul and then end time stuff that's where people are arguing um in what i would call a mainstream argument i mean you have people um you have the guys like the quest for the historical jesus who have like who went through um anybody remember you may hear the jesus seminar you remember that so so they basically determined that jesus said like eight words and that's all they can really agree on. And they, they cast, they basically cast lots on the deal. We're like, what do we think Jesus actually said? I think he said it. I think he didn't. And like, it was kind of ridiculous. So like, they're not really, I wouldn't consider that mainstream discussion. But like, people who are like, agree the Bible is the word of God and are trying to understand it is, that's kind of where it sits at is, um, understanding the sum of the stuff of Paul and then, um, talking about, uh, end time stuff would be where a lot of it lives. Um, and, and a lot of it, the end time stuff just goes, because it's so, the, the language that John uses especially, it's just hard to grab. 
And so we like, well, it's got to me, I have to be able to understand it. And that's probably the first mistake is the thought that like, whatever this is, that you're going to fully comprehend it, right? Because it's a description. It's the attempt to take things of God and put them in language of man and say that we're going to totally get it. I aced a, there was a, I was in a philosophy class when I was in college and there was one of the questions was, um, how, how would you, how would you describe God? Okay. And, and they had set aside like a lot of space for you to answer this question. And my answer was, is that, um, if God is who either the Bible represents himself to be or, or culturally who he's generally understood to be, human words are not capable of explaining him. The end. A plus. You can, you can BS the Bible, the, uh, or the philosophy class with that type of answer. But there's some truth to that though. There's some truth to, like, we're trying to take what is an, was an, an infinite God and we're trying to use words to describe some of those things, and it it will fall short at times. That's that's why some of the language you see in Revelation, he's he's painting a picture on a canvas, man. And so, like, it's not always him trying to say, "I want you to think that this is exactly what's happening." He's trying to give you an image because that's the best we can do. What's there's a picture of this being on a throne, and it's got like twelve different jewels on it, and it's glowing. There's eyes everywhere, and you're like, "This is the creepiest looking god figure I could like." Ah. That's weird, right? But he's saying, like, look at all these, these beautiful. Look at all these jewels. It's a beautiful image, and he sees everything. You see, whether it's different, he's telling us, he's showing us something that is then telling us something, as opposed to saying there's like a creepy god creature sitting on a throne. Okay, so we do, and that's the other thing. This is where the Bible is. It's very interesting. Like you can dive into this thing for your whole life, plus another ten, and we will never reach the bottom. However, it is is accessible enough, though, that I can read it on a daily basis and still get something out of it that impacts my day-to-day life. It's a God has written a very cool story, a very cool story, and so like we're just swimming in the deep end for a while, and then daily on a daily basis we're, we're walking the mile. All right, let's see. Let's do oh um, the, the one example I was going to tell you, show you on that on that vulture thing. If you look, there's a Wycliffe translation in 1380, a Tyndale translation in 1534, and a Geneva translation in 1557. All render it eagle. The vulture thing is a relatively new deal, and it has to do with how we understand the end times. All right, how are we going to approach this? Uh, I told, oh man, we're running out of time already. Um, we're, we're going to approach this with humility. Okay, I pick up the Bible every time with the expectation that it is going to change me. Okay, We cannot be walking into the Bible saying, here's what I want it to be, and where will I find that proves what I want it to be. If you are not here to have the Bible change what you think because of what it says, you will not learn anything. Okay, You will not learn anything. When we change Itoy, when we change Eagle to Vulture, because of what we think we know about the end of times, we're going to have a hard time learning anything. Does that make sense? Okay? You have to be willing to say, we're approaching this with humility and saying God's word can and will change me. And I'm ready for that. And I'm not going to tell you that like going through this process personally over the last few years, like when I first started, I thought, this is kind of shaking me a little bit. Like the guy that translated my Bible said, <laughs> said vulture, not eagle. And like, well, what am I supposed to do with the rest of this stuff? I will tell you though, through the process of digging deeper into God's word and saying, I will fight to understand what God is saying here. My faith has grown exponentially. I trust it even more. That's weird. That's weird, Vulture Eagle stuff. To like, to, to feel more connected to it, right? But, but it is. But it is. And I have a thirst to want to know it. I want to know, like, if I got it wrong, I want to know it. I, I am dead certain that there are things about my theology that are wrong. I just don't know what they are. Otherwise, I would have changed them by now, right? And so I want the Bible to reveal those in me. 
And hopefully through this process, like, I don't know what your end time stuff is. I don't, I don't, I don't really care. We'll go through that process of trying to see if we can say, this is what the Bible says. And then you can go, you take your own reaction to that. Okay. But let's fight for what the Bible says and let that change you and change how we understand what God does and who he is because of what we know. Yes. Although, see, here's, here's where I, str- here's where I struggle with that. Cause like, I don't think he's created something that is, um, that is hard to, to discern necessarily. I just, we're, we're actually, it is more so, and it, it's, it's even the premise of trying to of do this before Revelation, is I don't think we're fighting to say, reveal to me the mystery of what you've already said. It is to get the junk out of the way that we've piled on top of it so we can recognize it for what it is. And I, and I would, to a certain extent, I would actually say that's the same thing. Same basic premise is to say we front loaded a lot of what we think with cultural expectations or personal expectations, and we got to fight to clear that stuff away and say, what is it? What is actually going on here? I think there is, I think there is a lot of that. I think there is a lot of, um, people taking something, um, for their own life and then saying, this is how it was, and so this is how it is. Um, I think God can do, God can do more than that. I think the, it can, the Bible can peel like an onion. The Bible can say, like, this is, this is, I read this and this is how. Now, I, I'm not saying that it actually, um, it can't mean two different things. It's not vulture, it's not a vulture with an eagle's body. Like, that's not what it is. It can't mean, it can't be two distinctly different things. But like, can God use scripture to mean something for you and, and like impact your life differently? Sure it can. There are people that, um, oh, I said this to Amanda yesterday. I'm gonna, I'm, and I'm gonna apologize for saying it because it's gonna taint what you think I'm doing during worship. But like, I will tell you that like 75% of the words in your average worship tunes, I probably have some theological qualms with. Whether we're using it in the right context, whether we understand it in the right, whether they're actually telling me true things about God. But the thing is, is that like the guy sitting in the worship, and frankly me, as I continue to sing them, it doesn't mean a lick to me right there. I love Jesus, and that's what we're singing about, and I like it. There are some things where I drew a line and said, I don't know that I can sing that. Something doesn't sound quite right about that. Okay? But like, I will tell you that generally speaking, we need to be careful, especially when we put, put the Bible verses on a desk calendar, we run into troubles. That's why we did the, the 10 most searched Bible verses. We're going to talk about those in context, um, even for some context examples here in a minute. And like, we just got to be careful. We got to be, you can do it wrong, but it would not surprise me to say, um, this hit me at this time and it meant something different or nuanced to me than it did to somebody else at a certain time and say that God's word can't peel like an onion like that. It most certainly can, just like a symbol can. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, last thing. It's completely okay to disagree with me. We talked about people smarter than me, right? Like it's, it's, it's okay. I don't have this all figured out. I'm walking this track with you, but I will tell you that having gone through this process over the last few years personally, I felt like I really wanted to talk about it. I felt like I wanted to talk about it with you guys. So it's okay if you don't Agree with me. You are going to have to tell me why, though, because we're we're fighting for the right thing. I'm willing for my community to change me. If God uses you guys to change something that I think wrong, that's awesome. I'm with that. So don't don't feel like you can't say that, but have a, have a reason and try to stay out of left field. Okay, left field's a creepy spot. Try to stay out of left field. Um, you might have some questions that I can't answer. I'll look them up. I'll find it. Okay, I'll do my best. But don't feel like you can't disagree with me just because I'm the guy standing up and you're the folks sitting down. Uh, that's not the right, that's not humility approaching it. I'm willing, I want scripture to change me, and I very much feel like God will use my community to change me as well. And that's cool. Alright, so, um, let's talk about wh- uh, how I want you to look at some of these verses. I shouldn't have wrote over the whole board, because it takes me a lot longer to erase the whole board. 
what does a uh, what does a realtor say? Like, what's the what's the most important thing in real estate? Ah, location, location, location. So, the most I say the most important thing, but the principles of which we care about today are context, context, context. These are all big important to me. No, if they were, if it was the Greek, it'd be all caps running together, no spaces. Uh, no, no, we're no, we're going. Yes, we're for context. Okay. Are you are you sassing my handwriting from the back of the room? Which which one? All of them? I wish I wouldn't have said that. And let my community change me thing. It kind of it put me in a corner right there. <laughs> okay. Um, so here's here's what here's what we're going to look at. There's four con. We, we're one better than the realtor. Okay. Four context. Here's what I care about. Context. What is happening directly around the verse? Is number one. What is happening directly around the verse? Second context is what is happening in the chapter. Uh, third is what is happening in God's story, which we'll call basically basically the Old and New Testament. Okay, what's what, what's happened so far? God's story, and what is happening in the culture? What's going on around them? That's been a big thing in in biblical studies over the last. Um, over the last hundred years is people actually caring like, where do those guys go to the bathroom? Where do they walk? What do they do? Like, how can we, how can we get in their shoes and walk around in their world a little bit to understand where they're sitting? I'm gonna do that one first actually because it's the shortest and I think we're gonna run out of time because I talked too long. Um, so let's do, let's do culture context first. Um, somebody bring up 1 Thessalonians 5.3. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Okay. Now, there's not, I mean, I, that verse kind of sits on its own, right? Like, like you can read through that and say, okay, I get it. Uh, don't, don't be concerned about it. Um, but these things will these things will come upon you, okay? But there's something very specific about this phrase, peace and security. The uh, they were that church was centered around. They're still part of the empire of Rome. Uh, the Rome had been at peace um, for a few hundred years um, under a I don't know what do you call it their flagship, but it's called Pax Romana. Which means the peace of Rome. Okay, the peace of Rome. Rome kept peace with the sword. Um, that's why Jesus is dead. Okay, Jesus was a was a, uh, a rebel basically. He was. Uh, they accused him. Uh, in fact, when they arrest him, he says, "What am I leading a laystase, a rebellion?" Okay, um, and so he Jesus was arrested because the Jews said he's he's causing rebellion here. Um, uh, sometimes, actually, we talk about him being a thief. You guys, the Bible described him as a thief. Something wonky about that translation. It's, it's, uh, they, Rome doesn't kill thieves. Okay? They kill people that rebel against Rome. Okay? So the, the, the word right there is, is, um, is for revolutionary. Okay? So he was a revolutionary. The other two guys that were killed on the opposite side of him, also revolutionaries. Not street thieves, revolutionaries. 
Um, Jesus died in place of who? Anybody know? Barabbas. Barabbas, right? He was a revolutionary. Okay? That's why people died in Rome. Why did they kill the lead guy and hang him on a cross? Yes. An example. Why do you cut a guy's head off and put it on a stake and set it at the front of your village? Because you want people to know what you do to people that come in and try to attack your village, right? Okay? That's why Rome kills a revolutionary and hangs him on a cross so that everyone can see. Rome is a big empire. They do not have the time or the effort or the money to go after every like minor rebellion that's going on. You find the lead guy and you kill him and you hang him up so the people who are trying to do the same thing will look at it and say, no, I won't do that. Okay? That's, that's Pax Romana. If you don't keep peace, if you're a person that rules in, in different parts of Rome, think, think Herod's. Okay? If you rule in Rome and you do not keep peace, Rome will come and keep the peace for you and you will pay for that. Okay? Peace of Rome is kept with the sword. There's a, a guy named, uh, a story named Tacitus. Uh, and in his annals, he said there was, there was nothing to be feared more than the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana. Okay? Now, that's the cultural context with when Paul is, is writing. And when he says, when you are saying, Pax et securitas, peace and security. That's a jab. When he says, when you're saying peace and security, when you're relying on Rome to take care of you and say, things are fine and I am protected, the follow-up was, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Okay? This has changed substantially how I read this passage. No, not necessarily, right? But this phrase, this means a lot. This isn't just Paul going, you know, when you think everything's fine. He's saying when you're relying on on someone else to provide your peace, when you're prying, relying on, on Rome to provide your security, just know that where you've planted your faith, destruction will come upon you. There is some weight to that. There is some weight to understanding the culture that surrounds that. If, if Rome is the bearer of peace, and Paul says, and Jesus says, you will have no peace, I, I provide peace. It's much different, right? So the culture, the context of the culture does matter. And that's, again, another reason why you'll see, you'll see guys that are preaching it will be like, here's, here's how we need to understand how this worked. You gotta be careful some of that stuff though. Some of that stuff's not right. You ever heard someone tell you that there was, um, uh, there was a gate, um, called the eye of the needle? In, nah, no, there's nothing like that. That's not accurate. Okay. It softens the phrase, doesn't it? Say, how the camel go through the eye of a needle? We're like, well, that's preposterous. Rich man can still get into heaven. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, if there's a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle and a camel goes through it, it's just a little small and they have to duck. Oh, that's a little bit more palatable for us because we're greedy. We're a greedy culture. We like money. And so we like that. That seems a little more palatable to us. But it's not true. It's not the right cultural reference. There was nothing like that. Okay? When Jesus says camel through eye of a needle is better than like what happened before a rich man goes to heaven. No, that's what he means. Camel, needle eye. That's supposed to be harsh. We soften it with the wrong cultural reference. So we gotta be careful with that stuff. Okay? Yes, so was, uh, planking, planking your brother's eye, planking your own eye, right? Like that's funny. That's actually a funny thing. We, we study it. We get the glasses down. We're like, uh, oh, planking your own eye. Yes. <laughs> no, that's funny. It's a joke. Okay? It's, it's meant to do something though. It's meant to mean something. Okay. So that's, that's culture. Let's look at, um, Context in, ah, directly happening around the verse. Let's look at Matthew 18, 20. Okay, here we go. Um, I will start in 15. Matthew uh, 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. 
If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if it does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Okay? How do we use, for where there are two or three gathered in my name, there am I among them? How do we use that generally? Yeah. Yeah, we say, well, two or three people, Jesus will be there. One person, no Jesus? Does that make a lot of sense? Yeah. That's weird. That's weird, right? Like we could be like, well, something. If you let's say only two people came to this class, I'd be like, whew, at least two or three are gathered. Jesus, Jesus can be here. Okay, you understand? That? We use that weird. We use that as a weird verse. Sometimes we'll do that. Um, it was, it's, it's better to pray in groups. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray in groups, but this is not a good justification for it. It's not a good. Ju- there were two or three there. There I will be also. What, what's the context? Of, what's going on around it before he says that? Yes, it's a disagreement. If your brother sins against you, what do you do? What do you do? He says, tell him his fault. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. If he doesn't listen, take a few more fellas. Try to straighten him out. If he, by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses. Okay. Wait, why? Why two or three? Where's that come from? Anybody know where that comes from? Yes. Yes. Old Testament law says, especially you're going to stone somebody. You need a couple witnesses. You can't, you can't be taking people out. You only got one witness. Two witnesses. Okay. Vouching for it. This is true. Okay. If he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Uh, and again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. What is he saying? Yeah. Yeah. If you. This is the right way to go about it. And there I am with you is, I'm standing with you in approval of it. Exactly. Exactly. It's a church discipline deal. Nobody likes talking about church discipline. We don't talk about any of that chapter. We just be like, two or three gathered. Jesus is there. I love it. Okay, it's in the context of Jesus is saying, I know this is hard. You have a person that's that's basically running from me and you're trying to help them or you have a disagreement. And you've you've brought it in front of your community and, and, and he refuses to submit to that. And Jesus says, I know that was tough. I'll back you. I get it. Okay, that's a tough deal. That's a very hard thing to do. And Jesus knows that. And what, what would scare me from doing anything like that? Someone that was slapping God in the face. And then, and, and we tried to straighten it out and they absolutely refused to follow through with what God asked me here. I'd be like, but God can't. He can't ask me to do this. He can't ask me to say, you've, you've basically rejected our community and you're outside of it. That's why that's there. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there too. I trust you to, to follow what I'm saying here. And then as you do those things, if a man continues to reject the community and me, yeah, that's the consequence. And I'm with you. 
That's the right context, right? We pull that stuff out of context, so it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Now, if someone uses this as a justification to do a prayer circle, like did they do the wrong thing? No, prayer circles are all right. I mean, they're not for me, but like some of y'all like that stuff. Okay, but that's not the right reason for it. We gotta be careful. Be careful how we use it. All right, more context. Um, we looked at uh, what's going on uh, directly around the verse. We looked at culture. Ah, what's happening in in the chapter? And this this is going to feel a little bit like what's happening directly around the verse. Um, but let's look at it anyway. Let's look at Philippians four thirteen. Anybody know that off the top of their head? No. Yep, or Philippians 4, basically. Yes, I can do all things. Let's, uh, let, I'll read through this real quick. Philippians 4. Um, who wrote Philippians? Paul. Yep, yep Paul. Um, writing to a church in, uh, actually, it's interesting to think when you talk about culture, uh, about churches planted in, in Caesarea Philippi. Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Roman emperor stuff tied up in even how that city is named. And to see some of the phrases that John uses when he's going through Philippians is very interesting. All right. It says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat uh, Udia and I entreat Sintites to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, I wouldn't like to be called out by that. That would stink. Hey, I would entreat Pants to agree in the Lord. Because <laughs> whatever you're up to doesn't seem to be good. <laughs> yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, ab- to abound. In, an, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble." And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To God, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And we'll stop there. All right. Here's our, there's our big phrase. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Imagine this. Um, you see a, you see a, uh, two young guys enter a weight room and they're lifting weights. Okay. One guy gets on the thing, scrawny little fella, and, uh, he puts a bunch of weights on that doesn't look like he can handle and you kind of sit back and you're waiting to see what's going to happen. Okay. And they got these Jesus shirts on because they're ready for action. It's during like a youth camp. And then the guy loads up and he's going to pump the thing and he puts it down and he can't lift it. And the guy next to him goes, Johnny, Johnny, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And Johnny can't get the bar up and you have to go up and pull up the bar. Now, 
There have to be some weird things that are true or not true about Christ in that moment. Okay? Either it was a lie. You can't do all things in Christ Jesus because he strengthens you because that guy believed or thought he believed and he, and he couldn't lift the bar. It could be that little Johnny doesn't have enough faith. It's a faith problem. He just didn't believe enough and he would have been able to lift the bar. Or, potentially we've ripped that verse out of context. And sometimes our, our weights, our weight room, isn't something so simple. It's stuff that we want to do in life, that we think we should be able to do, and we're kind of pissed because God didn't make it happen. Or something that we tried through our own strength to do, and then we got mad because God didn't bless that and have us pull stuff out of our own so that we could be real happy with ourselves. What is Paul saying? Why did Paul say that? Well, he was talking about his, you know, a faith in plenty and hunger and abundance and need. He can do all things despite his physical issues. Right. With the power of the kind of strength he's in. It doesn't mean that, you know, he can, you know, that he can do things that, you know, like you said with the weight. Yeah. Right, right. He is, he is succeeding in completing the work of God despite the physical and earthly things that are otherwise putting him at a disadvantage. He is able to accomplish all things. Whether he's got it all or he's got nothing. Right. He's holding up underneath that he's done it before and he can do that again. Exactly. Exactly. I hate, really I do because I love you, to steal this verse from you. But it's not the context that, that, that Paul uses it in. To say, you know what? I'm going to start my own vacuum business. And I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. It's not what it is. Maybe God's got you in the vacuum business. Sweet. Okay? But I don't know that you can put this on your wall and then be irritated with God because you ain't selling vacuums. we got to be careful what we've put in God's mouth with this thing. Okay? The ch- that in, in the context of that chapter, Paul, that's exactly what Paul is saying. Correct. Correct. That, and that is, that is the other thing. And it's not that I don't think God is invested in your life. Okay? But you gotta remember what He asked for. He said, give up your life and take mine. My burden's light, but you do have to take it. And so, a lot of times what we're asking for is His help in holding up the things that we want. And we say, God, if you could, if you could just support my kingdom, then things would be better. And we're just being dishonest about what Jesus asked, if that's what we're trying to do. Okay? God very much cares about your day-to-day life. He cares when you're walking miles. Okay? He does. But we gotta be careful about what we're front-loading Bible verses to cover, or what we think it is to do. And the, the big risk here is like, I don't love Jesus, and I see that guy trying to lift the bar, and I see God failed him. Or I see a faith that I can't keep up with. Either way, I misunderstand God in that circumstance, and then what do we do? Because we wanted something out of that verse that that verse wasn't offering. That verse is offering a whole lot. A whole lot. But it's not always what we wanted out of it. Does that make sense? So we just got to be careful. It's a context issue. There's some discussion online about this verse. There was a runner that ran the Boston Marathon this year that lost part of a leg or I don't know what and had this verse on her shirt Mm -hmm. as she was running. And 
you know, of course, all the backlash because we have to love everybody all the time and, and not disagree with anything. Right. The backlash. I want to say it was maybe even a matter of the bill. Mm-hmm. Um, that she shouldn't have put that on her T-shirt. It's giving people the wrong information. You know, it needs to be backed up with Jesus loves you and all of that doesn't have anything to do with me and he's part of my missing leg. And, yep. You know, there's a way to be tender and, and, and loving in the review. Right? But, yeah, yeah. But that was still the essence of the, of the conversation. So and here's and here's the thing. Here's what I want you to hear me on this too: is that we can get it wrong and God still gets it right. right. Yeah? yeah, yeah. Do you know how many people have done crazy things for Jesus in their lives because they were flying under that banner? I can do all things. Okay. Sure. Yeah. God, we can we can have it wrong and God can still get it right. I wouldn't I wouldn't rely on that though. Does that make sense? The distinction I'm making here. Okay. I'm not going to stop somebody. There's a, there's a, there's a guy that came in through the studio, uh, a musical artist, and. Uh, uh, he had he had taken a pretty mammoth step um, of faith to come out and basically leave his job. Him and his wife left. They live in the back of a van and they're just driving around, um, doing gigs and stuff, trying to trying to talk to people about Jesus through his music. Okay, um, guy's got this thing on his shirt, and like, you know, that guy's that guy's taking a step. He's following Jesus. So am I, I going to wrestle him over this verse? No, no. But the thing is, is that like. Am I going to fight to make sure that I understand it personally, so that it re- so that it reflects accurately in my in what I think and what I believe? Yeah, I'm going to do that. And if if we're going to talk about it, or if he's leaning on that, and like, and I'm cl- I'm the right guy to say that because like sometimes it's the right information and you're the wrong person. We need to know that. Sometimes it's the right information, it's the wrong time. You need to know that. Okay. If I'm the right guy to say it, I'll have that conversation with him. You bet. You bet. Because it's not like the Bible doesn't. It's not like Jesus doesn't support the thing that he's doing. It's just. Did you, did we choose the wrong banner? Okay? So, yeah, I'm not picking a fight with a guy that's walking by with that on his shirt. I'm just not. Because frankly, that, that, what I know about the guy that I'm talking about is he walked out and he followed Christ and I think, yeah, sweet. He's following Jesus. What am I going to argue with him about? The whole, I don't need to be someone else's Holy Spirit. We got one. Okay? That goes for everybody. And, and it goes for some of the fights that we get ourselves into, some of the causes that we get all jazzed about. There is a Holy Spirit. Let him be who he is. We don't need to be someone else's Holy Spirit. You're going to stink at it and be worse. Okay? So, so be careful about that. And that's, this is where, like, fighting for those, these truths that I, that I, I care about. Um, even in then, I think we should do it, we got to do it in love. We do have to do it in understanding, like, do I think someone was, was sent to the wrong side of belief because someone wore that when they were missing a leg in the marathon? No. No. That's not worth my effort at all. I hope they start talking about Jesus. And you know what? The Holy Spirit will filter that out. And sometimes He'll use your community to do that. Welcome to the room, <laughs> right? That's what we're doing. So, um, yeah, we got to be careful how we do that. As much as I, I will say that, like, we, we wreck that verse and we do pull it out of context, just make sure we're the right people in the right time to be talking about that stuff and, and make sure that God got that. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, we're out of time. Uh, it's 8 o'clock. I will, uh, we're out of time. So here's what we're going to do for next week. we got one more context to go through. We need to talk about um, what's going on in God's story. Um, so we'll talk about that. Uh, as part of that, we're going to talk about in John 8, um, Jesus says, um, before Abraham was, I am. And they, they pick up rocks to stone him. And he said a lot of controversial things. We need to figure out why that one struck such a nerve. Okay, uh, It's a God story context. Uh, also, we're going to look a little bit at Revelation 9 as locusts, as as Apache helicopters. Okay, We're going to touch on that just a little bit and see if we can tell if elsewhere in God's story 
how are locusts used, and maybe we can maybe we see that just a little bit differently. Okay. Um, well, John eight Revelation nine. Um, we're going to talk about how the Bible uses the phrase "last days." Um, there's, I'll post those. I'll post those for you guys on the. Um, if you're on the Facebook, I'll, I'll post the verses there. Um, even if you hate Facebook, it might just be a good call to jump on one just for this. Even you don't even have to get friends. Go under a, a false name. I don't care. Okay. But the, the discussion will be fun during the week um, if we can engage in it. So I'll put those verses out there. We're going to talk about how the Bible uses last days. Maybe we need to rethink how we see that phrase because we always think into the world. Yeah, maybe we need to talk about it. Um, and then we're going to try to talk about uh, Matthew 10, which is where um, we just went through this actually recently, where he says uh, he's going to send out uh, to talk to the nation of Israel. And he says, before you get, you will not have finished going through the nation of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And so either either Jesus got the end of the world wrong or we need to understand that differently and we'll talk about that. And so that's what's on tap for next week. Any questions for me? All right. Well, thanks for coming. We'll see you guys next week.